you know, we see our mission at Oregon Venture Fund as organizing the, the talent and the capital that we have in the state for the benefit of the next generation of companies. You're listening to Why Try, the podcast. This week's guest is John Maroney. What initially led me to talk to John, what I really liked from our conversation, is his commitment to helping create connections and community within Oregon's entrepreneurial ecosystem. This concept really resonated with me, particularly the effort he describes as creating opportunities for serendipity, which to me is really what makes networking and community so powerful. So with all that in mind, I think you'll really like hearing what John has to say in our conversation. If you want to learn more about the workings of Oregon Venture Fund, stay tuned until after the credits of this podcast. If I brought my card in and gave it to you, you'd see that my title is, is connecting and cultivating. The way that we have things structured here is our, is by function. And so I'm really focused on the community, on the outreach side of things, on making sure that we're seeing all the deals that are in town and that, and then also helping all the entrepreneurs understand how to talk about their companies in a way that investors understand and saying, oh yeah, this is how to tell that story. This is the perspective that an investor wants to hear. And then I, I meet with, I probably meet with 200 companies a year okay. as the front part of our, of our yeah, funnel. One a day or a little more. A little more, yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, some, some days more, sure. some days less. Yeah, today I've met with three different companies. Are these just companies seeking investment or are they just they just know that you're the guy to talk to who can like them out in this way? So I talked to the 200. There's 50 that will be stage and sector appropriate for us to take a look at deeper. And for those ones, I'll get a group of our investors. So our 150 investors, I'll find the people that have the background in medical, the background in food, the background in technology and say, hey, can, can I get four or five of you to come meet this company? And let's learn a bit more about it in an hour and also see how we can be helpful to them. Right. And so of those 50 that we do those types of meetings, there'll be 20 that will have come into our pipeline meeting where an entrepreneur comes in, presents their company to all of our investors who want to come. And there's usually about 50, 60 people there. Um, and of those, 20 will start actual diligence on 12 and will invest in eight. And so there's a lot of lead up and getting to know people. And part of what I try to do is put our network to work, whether I'm getting you ready to go to the pipeline meetings so you have lots of friends, or these people can help you in your business. These are the contacts. They have contacts that you need, or they can help you figure out how to how to set up your financials in a way that investors understand, which is different than how you actually run the business sometimes. What does that look like kind of specifically in terms of cultivating that network and like working with people? Is it like workshops, just a lot of meetings? How does um, that work? Yeah, it's a lot of meetings and trying to find, uh, occasionally we'll do bigger, we call them slow pitch events, where we have one tomorrow night um, in preparation for the Tech Fest Northwest that's coming up. Um, there'll be I think there's like 80 companies presenting at that. I think it's just two days of pitches and, um, and there'll be judges there and there's a prize at the end. Yeah. So what we did is we selected um, 15 to 20 to invite to come in to talk to our investors ahead of time. And so we'll have a room upstairs. We'll have, um, I think we'll end up having about 10 entrepreneurs come in. We'll have uh, about 15 investors come in and we're going to have tables set up so that everyone has dedicated time with people in our network to start relationships. And that's really, I call it creating opportunities for serendipity. Um, I try to put people together. I try to make sure that everyone knows some reason to want to know and talk to everybody else and then have at it, right? And, um, and so we do a lot of those types of events. You know, we see our mission at Oregon Venture Fund as organizing the, the talent and the capital that we have in the state 
for the benefit of the next generation of companies. And creating this virtuous cycle whereby we're helping create capital growth, company growth. Those companies are exiting. They're learning a lot. They're coming and joining us to, to, to invest in the next generation of companies. And so what I've told, what I tell all 200 of those companies I talk to the same thing, which is that even if we don't invest in you, I want to be helpful, as helpful as we can, because we may not be able to invest in you today because we don't know enough about your industry. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with it. We just don't know enough. So I want you to go be successful, <laughs> make some money, learn a lot, come back and join us and help us figure out how to invest in your kind of company in the future. That seems really powerful because my suspicion is that entrepreneurship is probably one of the fastest ways to learn a lot in a really short <laughs> period of time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so like, I don't know if you talk to someone five years and it's not even like that. Five years isn't even that far out. But then instead of having like a competitor or whatever, you have like this friend, you, know, you have a new capability in your own organization. Yeah. So that's pretty valuable. Yeah. And that's how we... That's why I, mean, I mentioned earlier the companies that we've invested in and the new types of companies we invested in. We are able to do that because we brought in investors from food companies. So now we've got a we have we have a a, a group of of our investors who either have run or are running food companies. And when we need to tap expertise to say, hey, we're going to judge this, we want to look at this company and see if it makes a good investment, we go to them and say, hey, can you help make us make the decision for us? So what, what is your own background that kind of led you to this situation? So yeah, so I've come from an entrepreneurial background. Um, I've always done tech. Parents both were um, entrepreneurs. My dad, you know, he got me into doing stuff early on technology-wise. We got a, one of the first PCs and he said, hey, if you learn how to use this thing called Lotus123, I'll pay you 10 bucks an hour. And I was like, well, I was making three bucks an hour pulling weeds. So I'm like, yeah, this sounds great. <laughs> um, and so uh, tech industry wages are just way out of line with the rest of the economy. Yeah, way, way, yeah. <laughs> that was a long time ago, too. <laughs> Come to think of it. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's how I got started. And um, I my first job out of school, I was the fifth employee at a small tech company. Um, I was the assistant to the CEO. And that company grew from those five employees to when I left, we had about 190. Um, and that was over the course of, of eight years. Uh, and I stayed as his assistant and he was a great mentor and teacher. And he let me look at, I mean, anything that we were doing, I was allowed to ask questions about and he would answer them honestly. And so, uh, when you're at that stage in the company, they were growing fast. They had, you know, the other four people, there's a CEO and then there was an operations manager, the person that did the programming the tech support and QA person, maybe we have one other programmer too. So everything else, oh no, we had a salesperson. That was the sales. Everything else fell to the CEO. And when I walked in the first day, he goes, great. So do you know what everyone else does here? And I said, yeah. He goes, good. So everything else that those people don't do, we do. I, <laughs> I do. And now you do. <laughs> and so, so I walked in and he had organized the rest of the function of the company in manila folders on his desk. On, or actually on this table, and um, there was 30 folders. And it was PR. It was advertising. It was relationships with strategic partners um, all over the board. And uh, he said, great, so this is what we have to do. Um, you come in, you pick up an envelope, um, read through it, find one that sounds interesting, let's talk about it, and, uh, and then you can take it back to your desk and start working on it. And the only rule 
is that when you walk out the door with it, you can't bring it back. <laughs> so you have to own it. And, <laughs> and so for right out of school, wanting to learn everything, I pretty soon had all the envelopes at my desk. And um, that sounds like a heck of an MBA. It's yeah. that's the way I felt about it. It was an entrepreneurial MBA very, very quickly on 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 the practical side of what it takes to to grow. And we were already I think at that point, we were doing $300,000. Um, we did 1.3 the next year. And so we grew at such a rate, you know, at one point, he said to me, he said, Great, so now, now I need you to, you do five jobs. And he goes, this is this and this and this, I want you to write job descriptions for all five of them. And we're going to hire five people to do all of your work. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's kind of how you know, that was the so I got to watch all that entrepreneurial spirit as we as we grew from to 1.3 up to up to almost 20 million um, by the time I left and got to open a European office and do all kinds of stuff. And then um, I always knew I wanted to do my own company at some point and um, then moved up to Portland, worked and was a VP of marketing for a software company here. And when we sold that, I decided to start my own business and got into the mobile doing mobile software back when there was just Blackberries before the iPhone and right. Android. Um, and uh, that's when we started free range communications. And we really focused on working with big media companies, newspapers, magazines, websites, and we provide all their mobile products for them. So iPhone, Android, Blackberry, all the tablets, and we would connect to their op to their content management system on their website, connect to their ad systems, they give us your branding, and we would then deliver apps for them. And so we did, Wall Street Journal's first mobile products were all done by us. So we had about 350 total by the end. So, yeah. Then the iPhone came out and everything exploded. And we sold the company at that point. And so, yeah, so, that's, so I come from an entrepreneurial side. So I understand the the challenges of being an entrepreneur. And I understand the, the trade-offs you have to make and the kinds of decisions you go through. So Like your current role. Well, like what's the thing that you most enjoy now? It seems like a little bit different of a role now that you're kind of in a fund where like it's trying to figure out how to be helpful. What I'm trying to do now is at the one hand, trying to make sure we have deal flow. On the other hand, make sure that the ecosystem is set up so that it's a lot easier for all companies. And so I'm, I'm on the board at OEN, the Oregon Entrepreneurs Network, and they're changing their mission quite a bit now to focus on helping all the entrepreneurs in a particular industry cluster get organized. And so the first one they're doing is food. And so, and the idea there is, is if you can get the entrepreneurs that are doing $150,000 a year at the farmer's market and at new seasons in the same room with the people that are doing 2 million and are in 30 states and have just signed up with the UNFI as a major distributor to the people that are at 20 million and with the people that are at 100 million and have sold to private equity. If you can get them all in the same room together, they can help each other out way better than I can help anyone. And so what I'm trying to do is help get those things organized so that we can help develop a lot of really qualified companies and we can make the connections a lot better there than than in trying to do it one on one. Uh, once that group's created, what works well for like facilitating that interaction? Well, it has to be driven by the group, right? I mean, the group has to. You need you need people that are thinking about it over the long term. They're like, I live here in Portland or in Oregon, and I'm going to live here for the rest of my life, and I I care about what this ecosystem looks like in ten years time. I mean, that's what it's going to take, and so getting people to think about that then the overall needs of the of the group versus just your own needs. To me, I think I mean, what we're trying to do with OAN is to create, in this food group in particular, is not to create a lot, but to find what's already happening and help people 
get into those things themselves. Like people just don't know about things is what I've discovered is that you're an entrepreneur, you're building your business, you're focused on your customers. You don't necessarily know that we've got this amazing food innovation center from Oregon State University, like right in downtown Portland. <laughs> people just don't, I I, most people don't know about it. And it's great. And it's a great organization. People don't know that we've got, you know, Davis Wright Tremaine has like 50 food lawyers that are focused on the food industry. They just don't know that. Uh, Stoll Reeves has them. <laughs> Tom Contorp has them. There's resources everywhere, but people don't know about them. And so if we can get them all organized in one place, and there's lots of opportunities for engagement, the hope is that people will find the help that they need and make start to make connections that that go beyond what you know you can you can actually organize. Like so, it's that it's the opportunities for serendipity. <laughs> so it sounds like you've kind of created like a hub, or like you're like working on creating like a hub that people kind of like gather to so like everyone inside the hub knows about everything else inside the hub generally like they're on the email that's list the idea. yeah that's right so then it's like when people come to me and say hey i want to talk to you about doing a food business i can say listen the best thing to do i'm happy to talk to you but the best thing you can do is just go join the oen group and go to some of the events that are happening um do that for four months and then come talk to me and see how that's going right because what will happen is that if you can start getting 200 companies that are actively engaged in that hub You'll get investors who want to invest in food companies saying, hey, I want to be involved in that hub as well. And that's where we can start driving that 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 virtuous cycle on the, on the ecosystem of local capital going to local startups that are growing, exiting, coming back in and supporting the next wave of companies. My hope would be that in, in eight years, five years, we're going to have you know, industry groups around food that everybody's a part of, right? And kind of, we, we have it with the tech on the, with Tech Association of Oregon, TAO. Um, if you're in the tech world, you're a member of TAO. And I think OEN is in a great position to build those types of organizations for these other types of industries as well. I was thinking like, well, Portland, yeah, you know, got a great food scene. Is that kind of, is that kind of the reasoning? Yeah. So what's, what is it that we have that gives us, what, what ought we to be good at here in Oregon? Right. And we sort of look at the gaps, like, so we've got beer, wine, food. We have, you know, we had software, we had chips, uh, oh, computer yeah, chips, yeah, right? Yeah, and then like software, athletic wear. So if you look at the athletic wear with the chips and software, like the wearables, like think that we ought to be good at wearables, right? Food, we just, everyone loves food. So everyone, and everyone's got the whole makers, you know, the makers is another big area. Makers combine that with food. And we've got this great, very vibrant startup system for, for food companies. But, you know, how do you help them get? to that next level is what we want to be able to, to, to enable, right. And making it easier for people to do that. And so I'm on the board of one food company and, um, called honey mamas. I don't know if you've ever tried it it's in the refrigerated section of whole foods and new seasons. And, okay. um, it's, it's okay. really good. And, uh, and just watching how, watching the learning experiences that go on there has helped inform me to like, Oh yeah, we need to make this easier for her to, you know, recruit board members that are, that are, 10 years experience ahead of her that that can be helpful. Um, I'm only, I'm on her board and I can help her on general business stuff to a certain extent, but we're starting to get to the edges of those things where I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know how to, I, I don't know whether you should sign up a new distributor. <laughs> I don't know what, who, who is the right buyers for this. I, we can go find out, but be sure it'd be a lot yeah. easier to have um, the right type of person on the board who's like, oh yeah, well, we just go talk to this girl. Right. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Right. <laughs> um, but she doesn't know how to find those people. 
And so if we can make this ecosystem, it'll be easier for her to find them. And we can do that for products, um, for outdoor and athletic as well. I think at some point we can do that. And if you look at what's coming up from the tech scenes, whether it's virtual reality or artificial intelligence or blockchain, there's all these different areas where you can see the need for people to talk to each other more. I feel like we've talked a lot about like the things that like excite you most. Uh-huh. What are, what are, what are some like the challenging and frustrating aspects of what you do? I guess there's times when, and I, you know, just look at some of your other questions around entrepreneurial qualities. And, uh, you know, there's times when you see an idea that entrepreneurs come in and like, Oh, that's a, that's a good market opportunity. Good idea to, to get it. The team just doesn't quite seem to be the caliber. Like they don't quite have the, what you need to be entrepreneurs. What does that look like though to you? I mean, I think one of the things that I, that turns people off quite under investors off quite a bit is like, yeah, well, you know, as soon as I get funding, I'll quit my day job and go for it. It's like, well, if you're really passionate about it, you should be going for it. Right? Right. And, and, uh, and, and you should like be, they want like a low risk option. They want or, the low, they want, they want the investor to take the risk on them to make their dream come true. And that's, you know, that's a, if it's a good idea, then it sort of becomes frustrating to be like, really? Like what? Then do it. Like if you're, you know, decide, like decide if you want to be an entrepreneur or not. As investors, you want to know that your entrepreneurs are all in. Like you, it matters if you fail. Like if you fail and you lose all of your investors' money, it you also lost all your own money, right? And you know, and it, it, you lost all your own time, and you lost. You know, there's, there's, you have to have a lot of skin in the game, right? So that's, I, I think that's one area of frustration. Um, occasionally, it's not. I, I rare. I don't get it a lot. But sometimes that happens. Just kicking the tires of entrepreneurship, right? And it's like, you, this isn't a kicking the tires thing. <laughs> yeah. You either decide. Oh, you're right. You check for $1 million. Yeah, like, yeah, if yeah. you're going to do it, do it, right? What are the traits in a founder that like makes you really excited? Leadership abilities is probably the big. I mean, so when we look at it and evaluate a company, first and foremost, we're looking at the team going after a big market opportunity. And then, and then only last, we actually look at the product or service. Um, because we kind of figure that if it's the right team and they're going after a bigger opportunity, they'll figure out any problems with the product because they know what the problems are. So when we look at teams, we want people that have deep industry knowledge that, that, that know this problem in and out. They know, um, they've lived the problem themselves in some cases, um, that the one that they're solving with their, with their product or service. Um, if they've done entrepreneur, if they've been entrepreneur before, that's even better. But I think one of the things we look for is, is the leadership ability. Like you get, you know, you've gotten other people to join you, right? And that, that matters a lot. I'll tell you one of the things that, <laughs> that is a huge turnoff is when an entrepreneur comes in, they've got it, they've been at it for a couple of years. They're maybe they're doing some revenue. I mean, most of the companies we're investing in are doing, you know, 500 to a million dollars in revenue. Not most, but an awful lot that we see. And, the CEO comes in and says, well, you know, so I did last, last year I did 500,000 this year I'm going to do this. And, uh, and I got this account and I did this and I, 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 uh, and it just drives me crazy. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, what about your team? <laughs> you know what I mean? You, so you, you did this all by yourself, did you now? <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and it just shows that, that you're gonna, it's about them and not about, the company and about the vision and what they're trying to do. And, um, uh, so that's a huge turnoff to entrepreneurs. Um, and I always counsel, I'm on the boards of a couple companies, not our companies, but other companies. And I always tell the entrepreneurs, it's like, you know, you know, if things go well, 
it's, the, it's because of the team. You better praise the team. <laughs> and and if things go badly, it's all because of you. And then you can say I all you want. <laughs> it was my fault. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry I missed that. I should have known that that was going to be a problem. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's leadership for you, I guess. You just, what else kind of stands out to you when you're assessing people? Yeah, so we have we have very rarely invested in uh, sole founders or um, the one figurehead CEO that, that runs everything. We, we invest in the team. And we want to know that the team is going to work well together, that they understand what everyone's good for and where everybody has weaknesses. And if they have a hole in the team, they understand that and they want to fix it. And they're like, yeah, we, we, that's part of the reason we're raising money now is because we need to hire a VP of marketing because we don't have that caliber talent. Makes a lot of sense. Do you have anything else but like kind of going to a different area? Do you have advice for young people looking to accelerate their own growth in entrepreneurship? You know, I think one of the things that I see is people saying, I'm going to be an entrepreneur and I'm doing this thing in this industry. Well, if they don't have any experience in that industry at all, it's a huge uphill battle because you don't know what the, you know, you have to learn, to learn the vocabulary of the industry. First of all, you have to learn what customers do today. Um, then you have to learn what the sales channels are, the go-to-market strategy that work for those types of customers. And there, there's just a lot of things you're going to have to learn, right? And then there's a whole intertwined network that you don't know anything about, right? And so right. Um, it makes it really hard to do that. And so, you know, I think you said what, what advice do you have is like, you know, if, if you want to start something around an area, then go go work in a job in that area to get some experience on what the problem is so that you can design a really good solution for that problem or get to know the vocabulary and get to know how it all works you know the pitfalls that are out there like it's hard enough as it is like don't make it harder for yourself yeah yeah people i I think it's a misconception that um entrepreneurs are super risk takers i actually don't think they are they're the opposite they're they're actually they're they're actually pretty steady planners they've mitigated as much as they can, every risk that they come across. So they, they accept the risks and then they, they mitigate them as they go along. And I think that's one where it's like, why make it any harder? Go find, you know, get expert at what you want to do and then go do it, right? As opposed to saying, oh, I'm going to go do it and then I'll be, get to be an expert as we go along. And you know, sometimes you can't do that because you're in a whole new thing that's not there. But, you know, then still do something tangential that you can take that experience directly over. So when I started mobile, there was no mobile, like there was no mobile applications. We didn't call them apps. There was, I used to have to explain to people like, oh yeah, there's programs that run on your phone, just like on your computer. It's really cool. And they'd be like, oh really? I didn't know that. But I had software background that I could apply over to it. And I had software background selling to, and our customers were the media companies. So I had a little bit of background on both sides of that, that I could then apply over. What do you think makes someone entrepreneurial? I think it's, I think entrepreneurs are inherently doers, right? They're like they just want to go do something. They're, they're they don't they're not they're not big on the the talking about it too much. Um, they like you get to you get um, when I used to run product 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 management groups. Um, you know, I'd, I'd ask all the product managers like what we want is to get a and have you have an informed intuition. So you get all the data on in the industry and you talk to your customers and then you know intuitively what their problems are so you can solve, right? But we're not going to run the business off of surveys of like, what's your problem? How to, what would you, would you like A, B or C to solve it, right? No, you need to take all that data in, synthesize it and come out with something. And there's a creative process that goes into that. And I think 
being curious is a really important thing for entrepreneurs as well to be intensely curious about about their customers about about the market about the world about how other people are doing things how other entrepreneurs are, act, are acting and learning all the time about what the world holds and how you can you can navigate it you might have covered this already i'm curious if rephrasing it a different way kind of like brings out a different response i'm gonna ask okay. it anyway is there a piece of advice that you find yourself giving most often there's a couple pieces of advice that i give to people most often the first would be you know everyone's coming I mean, most people i'm talking to are coming because they're saying i need capital to run my business and from there's a, an awful lot of them that I, that the reality is no you don't figure it out you know you, you you're not asking for enough money and you're on a trajectory you can last for another six months like figure out how to make it work right and it's better for you it's better for an investor you're gonna waste all your time trying to raise money for the next six months when you could just be building the business into a point where you could get it to be profitable and not have to worry about it I think putting yourself in your, if you're talking to investors, putting yourself in their shoes, what are they looking for? Like being able to switch that perspective and say, great. So if I was on that side of the table, am I telling a clear story? And it's easy enough to do, right? It's easy enough to have a, a clear story. You just have to sort of almost step back and think about it like that. Right. And so, you know, one of the, the format that we often tell people was given to me by one of our investors who I was in a panel discussion with him. And he said, yeah, well, telling your pitch is a, is a four act play. His name's Peter Horan. He's here in town. He's amazing. Um, and he's a an board member on Outdoor Project, one of our products, one of our companies. And um, he said, it's a four-act play. The first act is there's a big problem in the world. It's a really big problem. Let me tell you how big it is. <laughs> it's your market size. There's people in the, in the world that are trying to solve it. That's your competitors. But they're not doing a good job. And so there's a problem that is not solved. Act two is how we're going to solve it. This is how we solve it. This is our product. This is what we do. This is how we do it. This is how we make money doing it. This is our market strategy to get us there. And in five years, here's where we're going to be. And act three is why we are the people to do it. Why we are the people that are uniquely qualified in the entire world to solve this particular problem um, through their team. Like no one person, but it's through the whole team. And then act four is, so when people like us from act three do what we said we were going to do in act two, to a market as big as what I told you about in Act One, here's what happens to them. They get bought by this company. They go public. They whatever happens to them happens, right? But that's what you're telling that's your story to investors. Because the investors want to know how so they're gonna get their money. Is like how, how investors make money. Yeah. So now here's why you should care, right? <laughs> like I, I told you all this really cool story, and now let me tell you why you should care. Right. And it's because people can make a lot of money doing this kind of stuff. And this is what we intend to do. Right. And that's that's a piece of, I mean, that's just a storytelling. It's more tactical, but it's a piece of advice that I give people all the time. Okay. So before I go to final questions, there's nothing, yeah. le nothing left on your notes. No, you were just asking about books. Yeah. Is that your final question? Or? Yeah, it's kind of the okay. last question. I was going to say that there's two books that we, when we all start working here as partners, there's Give and Take by Adam Grant that is a required reading for everybody. And that's kind of the, it's kind of what we live by. And it's a great book. And then for startups, oftentimes I, I have people come in and say, no, I need a million dollars to build this thing. And it's like, well, go read Lean Startup <laughs> and, and, uh, and, 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 uh, and do it on a lot less. <laughs> do a much smaller version on a lot less and see if anyone cares. Go learn from your customers. Yeah, are, are there any any other books that you've really liked? Because I think Julianne probably took like all your low hanging fruit. Did she? Yeah, yeah, she did. Um, I haven't read that bottom one, the Undoing Project. Um, but 
I have two different two different friends that keep that one was here yesterday and she's like going off about that back that book so i think that's probably worth reading we have a list of on our website of the books that we recommend for entrepreneurs and yeah just put a link to that in the show notes yeah it's it's in a in our perspective section it's like what we're reading and okay cool thanks so much for your time i really appreciate yeah, sure. it thanks for having me you can find and connect with john and learn more about oregon venture fund at OregonAngelFund.com slash team. Again, like I said earlier, if you listen through the end of the credits, I have a, about four minutes of John talking about how the Oregon Venture Fund works, which will answer a lot of questions for those of you who are interested in learning more about Oregon Venture Fund. Music for this episode is by Cambrian Explosion, whose music is so hot that Elon Musk is sending albums of it to Mars to melt the polar ice caps and help make the planet habitable for future colonists. You can find them steaming it up live in Portland, as well as on Spotify, iTunes, and cepdx.bandcamp.com. Go buy one of their albums. I don't think you'll regret it. Thanks for listening. So the, the Oregon Venture Fund is a, is a pretty unique model. We call it a collaborative venture fund. Um, and we are, we're an annual fund. And so every January, we raise a new fund that we invest during that calendar year. So in 2000 and, you know, 2017, we raised uh, close to $8 million and we invested it in all in that year. And come January of this year, we raised a new fund and we'll invest it all this year as well. We're geographically focused. So we only invest in Oregon and Southwest Washington, but we invest in the best companies that we can find across industries. So whether it's in tech or in food, we've in the last 18 months, we've invested in um, our first media company. We've invested in two virtual reality companies, a food company, um, a, a, a fashion brand in Wild Fang, um, a couple of Internet of Things companies. So we're kind of in whatever, in another in a, in a financial uh, fintech company, financial technology company. Um, so we kind of invest in diff- whatever we see that is the most interesting thing that's going to really drive the local economy. So when you see each of those, you know, on that chart on the wall there where we show all the different logos, the different companies um, that we've invested in, that's those are the ones we invested in that year as a fund. And what, who, where does that money come from? It comes from 180 investors who pool their money each January into a fund. Um, and that's what we use as our investment capital for the fund. Um, and those 180 investors, 150 of them are individuals and 30 of them are institutions. Um, the institutions account for 30 to 40% of the capital and the rest of it comes from the 150 individuals. And of those, um, the vast majority are former entrepreneurs or business leaders. And so we have this fantastic network of people that we put to work then to help our companies be successful. Okay, so like I see also like the like sold sticker, and this is more for my personal curiosity. Yeah, but like okay, so the sold stickers are yes. So there's um so as a as a venture fund, we only get money back when the company sells when there's a liquidity event. Right. So we don't share in profits, we don't do loans, we only get our money back when there's a liquidity event of some sort. Do you ever like sell your stake to someone else who's looking to? Like yeah. buy it out yeah that's like, a, like another investor yep so sometimes a private equity firm might come in and buy out all the previous investors okay take over um sometimes in some of those you'll see in the 2007 there's there's as you just mentioned there's four companies um three of them have sold stickers um the last one uh we were the only investment to go in and they're doing um 
well, they're doing a fair amount of revenue right now. <laughs> I don't yeah. want to say any um, specifics, but uh, they're they're doing quite well. Um, but they're in no hurry to sell because they're very profitable and they're growing. And right. so when we don't want them to sell either. And so uh-huh. um, so in that case, we figure out another way to get liquid where the existing shareholders might buy back the stock or the the company might buy back the stock from us. Okay. So, but most of the cases we have sold because that's the only way that we'll get our money out. And you'll notice that the, the we have way we have it laid out there is the first six years are at the top, and that's where all the sold stickers are. The bottom is the last five years, and there's very few sold stickers there. They're like ongoing. And there and there's very few right, and so there's uh, they just take longer. You know, companies take a long time to get to a point where they can have a liquidity event. Right, that makes a lot of sense. I, mean, I assume you like any other investment company has to like. A measure performance annually, mm-hmm. right? Um, so for like a 2007 fund, I don't know if like investors still care if they're just like, great, it's like more money this year than last year. But like, how do you value? I mean, it's a liquid market, right? Like, right, so you- that's right. It's a completely Ill- illiquid market until it's liquid, right? So the stock is worth not. It, it, you cannot do anything with your stock until you can sell it, right? right. And so, uh, so the way that we value that is we value it. Um, when we talk about our returns, we talk about, okay, that 2007 fund in the 10th year now, um, there's the two, the, the two ways that people talk about it in the venture world is cash on cash return. So you put a dollar in, how many dollars did you get back? And then, um, the other way is, uh, um, internal rate of return, IRR, right? And, uh, and so we don't actually count, um, increased value until there's an event that happens. And so if, they raise another round of capital at a greater price point, then we mark up our investment according to that. And so our, so, so the investments, so it's very lumpy, like it, like you might see nothing happen and then two companies take a second round and all of a sudden it jumps significantly. Right. And so that's kind of the, the way that it works. I mean, I guess you like have some feel for like how, how things are going with the company and people like investors can call and ask you like, Oh, like what's, What's so, going on? Or like, there's probably like a newsletter or something, I assume. But like. Yeah. So the way that we track all these companies is, uh, well, when we make an investment, we generally speaking also have a, a board member. And um, what, again, makes us unique from venture capital firms is if you're a limited partner and you're an investor into a venture capital, a traditional venture capital firm, there's five limited partners or uh, general partners like what we have here, like myself and Julianne and, and other people in the office here. Um, they would then make the choices of investments, and then they would then sit on the boards to help the companies be successful. With our collaborative model, um, we actually just organize things, and our investors actually sit on the boards to help the companies be successful. And, and on the board, it's to help govern the company and help with company governance, help them be successful, but it's also to understand how we can put our network to work to help 